Hey there, pros and cons fans out there in internet land. This is another highlights episode, and uh, it is me, Alex, choosing this specific highlight. Um, and the one I chose to do today was critiquing the critiques. Um, this is a really fun conversation with uh, James, Matan, Phoenix, and eventually Patty, uh, where they really have a look at some hoary old chestnuts of um, receiving criticism from people about your work uh, and how to approach those criticisms when people say, for example, the, the classic show don't tell, what does that mean? How does that apply to your uh, craft and how can you use that in your own work going forward? And I just thought it was a really interesting way of uh, breaking down some of those specifics and going like, hey, this is this is what you can take from this and this is maybe what you can leave behind because a lot of those um, things often leave writers scratching their head and that's not productive. So yeah, enjoy this. This is a critiquing the critiques. Welcome to Pros and Cons, a podcast by writers for writers, brought to you by Precipice Fiction. Precipice Fiction would like to acknowledge the people of the Eora and Dorad Nations as the original custodians and storytellers of the land this podcast was created on. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to Pros and Cons, a podcast by emerging writers for emerging writers because sometimes we feel like pros and sometimes we do feel like cons. I'm Phoenix Rigg, and uh, today we have Matan with us. Matan Ilu. Hey, nice to and be here. James Healy. Hello. How is everyone? They can't reply. Uh, we'll leave a space there for you to reply. Yeah, leave a comment. It feels, like, uh, <laughs> feels like an episode of Dora the Explorer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and today we have a pretty cool topic for everyone. And we probably say that a lot, and we've probably said it a few times already. We do. We do. But um, I'm pretty excited to get into this one. Uh, we're going to get into some common editing notes. So critiques that we've gotten multiple times or a critique that we've gotten that really stood out to us that challenge us to really alter our work or as well as just like the big ones that you might hear a lot from editors, publishers, people you're sending your manuscripts off to. Hopefully they shed a little light on what they mean, angles you can take with them and or directions you can take with them and so on. But before we get into that, let's see what people have been enjoying, uh, Mitan. Hey, so um, uh, I'm actually reading a manuscript written by a friend. That's what I've been reading recently. I'm not going to give too many details, but it's really, really good. It's... Uh, it's sci-fi uh, happening in outer space. I really don't want to give out the details because the thing is not published yet. Mm. But I am just so freaking anxious reading this thing. It's like I have a hole in my stomach the whole oh, time. I it's see. like the worst version of space. Hyper-realistic. I mean, mm. you know, sci-fi that feels a bit like fantasy. Like this is the opposite. This is sci-fi that feels like people stuck in a piece of uh, aluminum out in space, which is kind of reality, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Really enjoying it. Uh, shout out to the manuscripts author, uh, Noam Bellinelli. And uh, maybe one day you'll see it on a shelf, guys. So that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. I'm into that. James? Um, well, I just joined like a book club. Um, so I read a book for that called Before the Coffee Gets Cold, Before the Coffee Cools, um, which I quite liked. It was a I went into it completely cold. I didn't know what it was about. Started off discussing a breakup, and then the character kind of remembers that the breakup happened in a cafe where you can apparently travel back in time. So he goes back to the cafe, tries to travel back in time to say things differently during the breakup to see if it wouldn't happen. And there's a ghost in the cafe, and there's all of this 
stuff comes out of nowhere and the story is kind of broken up into a few little short stories of people trying to go back in time and why they're trying to go back in time. Um, I really enjoyed it. The uh, people that work in the cafe are just really deadpan, just really casual about the fact that like this happens during their shift. They suddenly meet people from the future and they kind of are just like, oh yeah, we'll just leave you to it. And there's all these specific rules about what they can and can't do, why like, they can't leave the cafe, they can't leave their seat and all this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a fun little story. I guess it was kind of about, like thematically, it was kind of about living in the moment rather than wanting things to be different or wanting to go back and stuff like that. That's why I really enjoyed it. Um, I feel like everybody else in the writing group didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> I just been sitting there being like, oh, it's lovely. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. And they were like, none of it made sense. Why was there a ghost? They didn't didn't really do enough at the time travel. And I was like, these are all for points. But yeah, so yeah, that was my week. Wow. Nice. It's like quirky it absurdist, but not, not really absurdist. Yeah. It's just like quirky. It's very quirky. Um, yeah. Yeah. Apparently it was a play originally, a screenplay. So that's why it was all set in the cafe and stuff. Yeah, and it was set in Japan, so there was an awful lot of uh, stuff about like commitment to others and uh, family and stuff like that. So yeah, that was, nice. uh, yeah. That was my week of books. So, yeah. That's cool. Uh, for me, I've still been reading Frankenstein since the last episode. I yeah, I was just finishing up on someone's manuscript, which was part of the inspiration for this episode. And then my partner and I have been watching uh, Wednesday, which is. I can't tell if there's a lot of hype around it or if my phone just knows I'm now watching it because only once I started watching it did I start to see like suggestions on Instagram and stuff and it was whatever. But um, I heard it's good, but I heard, I heard it's good from like the most unexpected places and the most unexpected people. People are just mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, the lads I work with on site are like, Wednesday is deadly. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, I. <laughs> Look, I haven't watched Greater's it. I haven't mentioned it. Graphic, but all right. <laughs> I, I haven't watched it or mentioned it. So my phone, which is definitely listening to me, has no reason to show it to me. But I have been seeing it all over uh, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, okay. Apparently, it's the, the best thing since sliced bread. What do you think wow. about it? Sliced bread is pretty... Pretty tight. Pretty That's decent. Pretty, yeah. Got a good rep. Yeah. It's pretty innovative. <laughs> like a top, slice top seller for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, gl- with gluten hate on the rise, uh, I would mm. say the, the best days of sliced mm. bread are, uh, are behind, <laughs> behind us. <laughs> Back to how's Wednesday? <laughs> okay. Um, Wednesday is gluten free. So if you are gluten intolerant, um, you can watch the show. That's fine. Um, but it's, no, a it's a show. Good. It's a show. It's an eight it's not episode show. No. Yeah, it looks like a film, doesn't it? In the trailer, that's what I thought. Yeah. Well. I, I don't do. have eight hours. <laughs> I do like this. We don't have to watch it all at once, Matan. It's a show. Sorry, yeah, but um, I I do like these like extended movie style shows that they're doing, like um, The Queen's Gambit, where it's like one season, like ten or so episodes, good beefy episodes, and you feel like you really like went on a like you really experienced a plot really experienced a story by the end of it and it's none of this like wishy-washy cliffhanger stuff like we're clearly just obscuring the plot because we want to stretch this out like it, there's no filler like any of that so it feels good i wouldn't say it's doing anything crazy innovative like it's just like you know adam's family is an existing ip um the genre is murder mystery with a bit more like macabre element added to it but it's murder mystery done really well like there are spooky scenes. There are things that really have me on edge. I am very curious about what's going to happen. Like the characters feel good. So it's murder mystery done really well with an existing IP. And that makes the character kind of interesting and stuff. So I, I, it's worth watching for sure. Yeah, sounds good. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, but they do a lot of showing and not telling. 
uh, which is something we'll get into today. Uh, they also do some. They also do. They also do some. A lot of telling, but sometimes telling is necessary. With that, we will get into it. So we all, as writers, we do a lot of editing. Uh, us in this group, we've edited each other's work quite a bit. We've edited other people's work quite a bit. And even just editing your own work, like you might go through and be wondering, like, why is this sound weird? Why, like, what's going on? So maybe if you're reading your own work and bumping up some against some things, maybe some of the things we talk about here will help clear those things up because these are very common symptoms that make scenes tend to fall a little flat. And with that, I wanted to start with the one that stood out to me as the most notable. I'm not sure. It's pretty common as well as like, I remember the first time I saw this note from an editor, I was kind of like, ooh, what does that mean? And it's like, I kind of saw what she meant, but I didn't quite see what she meant. And that is show, don't tell. You hear this a lot. Yeah. You hear it a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of genres. It's not writing specific either. You can do a bad job of showing and not telling even in a movie or in, in even a visual medium. It has nothing to do with being able to see anything. It's how you describe story events. So with that, I guess first I'd like to open it up. Do either of you have any experiences with show, don't tell or any anything that jump out to you? I got this comment so hard that the first time an editor gave it to me, she printed out like she had this printout. I think it was four or five pages explaining what show, don't tell is. Whoa. And like she was she was full in. She's like, not, not only am I going to write it, on your on your stuff i'm also gonna explain to you what it is that was that was fantastic that was what uh six seven years ago just really at the beginning wow and it's kind of funny because this is uh this is like the magic comment that a lot of young writers get first off just when we start but you Mm -hmm. kind of touched on it at the beginning and sometimes we do need to tell but i'll leave that for later the gist of it is that so much of the storytelling we do early on is, is basically telling. We tell our friends, oh, I'm writing this book. This is what happens in the book that I am writing. We're so accustomed to telling the characters, the plot. Uh, so when it comes to showing, it's really something it took me a while to learn. And then obviously, being me, I had to correct because I overcorrected the first time. <laughs> and, and, and just showing is... Uh, it's a bit exhausting for a reader, I think. But other than that, I do think it is a fantastic comment. And for young writers, what it basically means is that, first of all, trust your reader to pick up things. Trust them to understand things without you uh, spoon-feeding them every single hint, every single uh, foreshadowing. And yeah, that's, that's it, I think, in a nutshell. Just trust. I had uh, an experience where in my early writings, I tended to trust a little bit too much. And I really was like hesitant to give exposition on things. Um, That's not to say I didn't still fall into the trap of telling and not showing, but I did. I tended to just leave my prose way too sparse and expect too much to be implied. And so people would read it and just get confused. Some of my earlier stuff. I've had that issue as well, particularly because showing the world is something that I'm really interested in doing because I want to show it from the perspective of the character. When I'm trying to introduce like a science fiction environment, I'm almost trying to introduce it from the idea of the or the perspective of the character, including their anxieties and their maybe if they have a religious belief or if they have a certain perspective on what's going on. I don't want to just explain this is a world where there are zombies. I want to write about it from the perspective of the character who has this mm. religious 
attention to what's going on or maybe is ignoring what's going on and is focusing on these other things and try to let the world bleed true and let the reader form their own opinion of it. And in that doing so, trying to figure out where is the character missing the mark, if that's often what I'm, I'm trying to work with. Within that, I have often written stuff where I haven't, like the character is making decisions, but I haven't explained well enough why the character is making those decisions because the reader is reading straightforward what's happening yeah. and they're not quite getting where the character is disconnected to what's happening because the character's feelings or the character's connections to what's going on in the world around them is dictating their behavior. That was a point I got a lot with um, Cooling Engines, which is a story we've, we've put into our anthology, The New Mythic, where I had to keep going back and trying to make sure that I'd explained enough about how the main character interpreted the world or interpreted the situation to explain just why it was really bad that they had gone into fog and just why he didn't have a straightforward way out of the situation. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of leads me into something I wanted to talk about, which is I do feel that as I was kind of dissecting this a bit, I found that showing don't telling sometimes can be one, it's an invitation to rewrite, to show instead of tell. But a lot of the times it can also be an invitation to include more interiority. And I'll give an example of this. I've actually I've actually prepared a little example of a difference between showing versus telling. Here it goes. All right. So they walked through the woods. It was scary and it was uncomfortable, but they had to move forward. They needed answers. So that is something that I would call telling because you have the narrator using words that are relatively subjective. You have scary, uncomfortable. Why is it scary? Why is it uncomfortable? You're telling the reader that this is what the environment is, as opposed to describing the environment and letting either the reader or the characters come up with opinions about the environment. And that's where it can be an invitation for interiority. If you have a character that does think the environment is scary, why do they think it's scary? And you can explore scary and that word and what it means to the character within that character's internal world. But you kind of want to avoid the narrator telling the reader up front, this environment's scary, because that doesn't mean too much. This is an example of another way that you can write the same scene. And I've, in this one, I did flourish a little bit more, but whatever. It was dark, but the darkness wasn't the worst part. It was the silence that set the hair, that set the hair on end. There was nothing. The forest suddenly seemed muted with cotton save for the sound of their own shuddering breaths and the bone-chewing snap and crunch of sticks and leaves below their feet. They were but a sound in a desert of silence. They felt naked and didn't know what might be watching or listening. So I just kind of described the environment, the sounds, the textures, the sights, the feelings, and not once do I say what this means. I don't say it means anything. The character, for all we know, could be pretty thrilled about it. Like in Wednesday, she'd probably like an environment like this. But the reader might feel something different. And then you can even you can have the reader's feelings agree with the character's feelings. Or like in Wednesday, they actually play with this a lot. They have the reader's or the viewer's feelings differ from the character's feelings. Where Wednesday might thrive in an environment like this, but the reader, the viewer, is scared. There is tension. And it's because they're not telling you it is these things. They're just demonstrating to you and letting the reader and the character experience it both. And you can explore both through the reader's perspective as well as through the character's perspective. And so anything to take away from that, I'd say watch subjective wording in narration. And that's a very big blanket statement. It might not apply to everything, but as just kind of something to watch out for if you're starting out and want kind of something to keep in the back of your mind, 
if you're getting really subjective in, with your narrator and just telling the reader what things mean, you might be stepping into telling territory, territory something to something to keep in mind. Uh, something I, I do. Uh, go ahead. Something I do in um, first draft is a lot of telling because I might bring characters into a setting and then I'll over explain each part of the setting. Um, and it'll probably be very subjective because I, I'm forming the idea of it in my head and I'm getting at mm -hmm. the details. In the novel I'm working on at the moment, I've kind of written half of it first draft. I'm kind of going back and doing a little editing here and there and looking at which character is now interpreting the environment and how are they interpreting the environment differently mm -hmm. from the other character. So while I've got all the details there of the little village that they're in and all the huts are on kind of stilts because it's very woody and there's a lot of rain. I've got all those little details in, but I'm changing them around for each character. So each character has a different, each character looks at a hut and sees something slightly different depending on their background and what they're bringing into the situation. Mm. So I'm trying to do that to give it more like personal texture yeah. and also kind of show, not like it is like descriptive stuff of the environment, but it's more of a showing the character's mindset and the character's perspective and stuff like that. So um, I think that was a great breakdown of show don't tell. Um, but just to zoom out a bit and yeah. look at the bigger picture, I maybe this is going to be a really crappy analogy, but I almost look at uh, show don't tell as like the first gear of a car. It's the most powerful one. Like if you mm. if you're going uphill, you got a big incline or a big or a steep decline. You need that powerful gear to hold the car uh, to deal with it. But what you give away is basically pace. You're slowing down. Everything mm. goes slowly. Let's focus. Let's focus on the on the woods, on the sound, on the creeping, on all that kind of stuff. But when you look at the big picture, you got to pace a story. And I think if we're talking about editing specifically, whenever you're giving your friends, your editor, whoever, a page to scrutinize, maybe you'll get a lot more comments that lean towards show me, don't tell me. But maybe if you give them a whole chapter, like 6,000 words, suddenly the telling would be looked upon uh, much, much more positively because it moves the story along. So that's something mm -hmm. to remember. I think that showing is usually better, but especially if you're writing long form, if you're doing a novella, if you're doing a long short story, if you, definitely if you're doing a novel. Uh, you do need the telling because that's your fourth, that's your fifth gear. Now, you can't rush your way through an entire novel. You do need to slow down in key moments. But uh, I think the balance, obviously, a horror short story will have a lot more showing to try to kind of get the tension through. But maybe something that's more plot heavy will have a bit more telling to move things along. That's, yeah. That's a good point. So like we said before, sometimes there are times to tell. Sometimes there are times to show. And it is that zooming out to zooming in. If you're going into a scene, into an environment, into a character's mind in a moment, that's prime opportunity to show because you're looking directly through someone's eyes or you're looking through the narrator's eyes and trying to root, anchor the reader into a place and time. But sometimes when you do need to cover a history or like give context to the greater world you do just need to tell it you can't like because if you were to place the reader in every single one of those things then those would all be scenes broken down scenes and that becomes an entire book just to give the history i do that in my story that's uh enter elias schmidt in the anthology uh the entire opening is it's a quick breakdown of a history it's a lot of telling um, and I try to do it in a way that makes sense and is entertaining and like has some feeling to it and purpose to it. Sure. And that's if you're going to tell 
you know, it's just got to, it has to be intentional. Um, but there are times for it, for sure. On what you're saying about when is a good time to tell, um, what I often try to do is give the information when the reader will kind of feel like they want it or feel like they need it. So you try to set up the expectation or set up that there's something, some information that the reader needs because the character is making decisions based off that. And then you offer that information as exposition when it feels like the answer to a question. Um, if you can also connect that to what the character is thinking at the time or what the character is feeling, then it'll feel a lot more natural. It won't feel like it's just thrown in there. True. And um, which again is the same comment I got with an awful lot of uh, the exposition that I put into Cooling Engines was that I had to connect it directly to what the character was thinking, what the character was feeling in that moment. So I had it so that he was almost trying to game out what was going to happen as he went forward, which was a great way of me just introducing the different groups and the different people that he had to try and navigate between. Mm, that's awesome. And yeah, very true. Like if you're characters walking through a forest and suddenly your narrator narrator jumps in to give some backstory about a city on the other side of the world and their fishing market it's like well what does this have to do with anything but if suddenly the narrator jumps in like hey let me tell you a little bit more about this forest we're currently in and a bit more of this reputation that makes it relevant to this moment then it's like oh okay yeah I, this information helps yeah yeah with that uh we are gonna go away take a little break um, and we might have a special guest on the other side of this break. We will see. All right. Talk to you in a, in a flash. And uh, we are back. We're here. And now we are honored to have with us uh, the one and only. One and, one and only. Boylan. Yeah. I think there's only one. Patty, Patty. Hello. Hello. Better late than never. Right. Amen. Uh, I, I gotta yes, say, I only, yes. <laughs> I, I only have a fairly vague idea about what we're talking about, so I'm gonna try and like slip myself in easily in the conversation. Like I was always here. Mm -hmm. Please, please <laughs> proceed. Like nothing ever happened. The the audience yeah. is gonna forget that you weren't here for the first half. They might. It's gonna be that seamless. They might. Um, anyway, um, yeah. Back to uh, back to comments from editors. I just wanted to share. I wanted to ask you guys: uh, Has an editor or a friend? ever looked at your writing and said this is kind of dense did you ever get that comment dense writing ah define dense in this context so it, it took me a while to decipher the meaning of that one um but what i realized it meant is that i just had too much too much a bit of everything too much of the similes too much of the descriptions mm -hmm. just a lot of metaphors chasing one another and yeah. all of them in a nutshell were great, but just too many times I described something using something else, where sometimes yeah. a red mm -hmm. telephone booth is just a red telephone booth. It doesn't have to be as red uh, as a cherry or as red as the inside of a tomato, which would be as red as the outside of a tomato, which just shows that it's not a very good simile. <laughs> anyway, you get the point. I did get that comment. I... Yeah, it's a fine line to walk because when we talk about beautiful writing, we're usually talking about things like allusion and metaphor and 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 reference and descriptive words. But then you can try and do it, and people say, "Oh, this is a little flowery. This prose is a little purple." Do you got? Do you guys know the phrase "purple prose"? Have you have you heard that? I know. Now? Yeah, it's just. Yeah, I don't know why it's purple. Like why why that color? But I think it's when the prose purple is just. Is it's a little too. Yeah, it's a little too pretty. I mm. think that's something I struggle with a lot. 
especially when sometimes you nail it and people say like, wow, that's a beautiful metaphor. And sometimes people are like, do you really have to compare A to B here? You get that ego boost because they liked one metaphor. So now you got to give them seven more in the next paragraph. Yeah. 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 Now that I think about it, I don't think I've gotten it too much from editors, but I've definitely seen it in my own work where like I have had editors talk about um, like reader exhaustion and it's when you are too wordy and you're just putting way too much information in one block of text and you kind of lose sense of pace, you lose sense of forward momentum and you can get really bogged down in the words and you stop seeing and experiencing the story. You most are, you feel yeah. like you're reading, like it feels like yeah. I'm doing so- the act of reading. Yeah. So that's that that's before. a common that's a comment I got and uh maybe you guys noticed but I have since adopted the one sentence breather where I just would after a paragraph a big heavy paragraph I would just kind of put a one sentence uh moment to just kind of let the reader breathe understand what's happening and then we move on into the next kind of kind of bit. You I do that really I love well. It. I love it as a spacing thing because I think it's important. You know, I gave you the flower a bit. Now, basically, a man stood over the edge and looked down. Something as simple as that. Mm-hmm. I like it feels that. almost like punctuation when you use it. Um, yeah. And you do use it quite well. I think maybe the trick with that is like you've got to make it a punchy sentence. If it's if it's a one-sentence paragraph, it, it needs to deserve mm. to be one sentence. Exactly. Like it's, it's to earn it. Yeah. Yep. Off of that. Uh, We'll jump into another one I've seen quite a bit, and it's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum of what Matan's saying, is sometimes when I'm going through someone's work, as well as other people have used this term before, or maybe it's just us, I don't know, but like, uh, like you could use a beat here, or like take a moment here, or something, and it's usually like in a moment where the action is moving too much, or maybe one kind of action sequence ends, and then you jump right into another one, or like a character walks into a room and immediately action starts happening, but it doesn't feel like there's a sense to uh, a moment to settle or whatever. And sometimes, you know, there are moments where it clips along and it feels right. It feels natural, but there are some times where it's like, Ooh, okay. Take a moment, re-anchor the reader back into the space and then, and then send them back off again. Like just give it a beat here. Do either of you, any of you have experiences with that one? It's definitely a comment I've given people. Because um, mm. sometimes you'll see something because it kind of serves two purposes. Um, on the one hand, it lets the reader catch their breath from one moment into the next. It kind of you almost need time to digest what's just happened. I don't know if you need time to wonder about what's going to come next, but if what's just happened leads directly into what comes next, you almost lose the power of both of those things. Yeah. You almost want a moment where you go back into the character to get their reaction, or there's some line which is just a break mm-hmm. between the two of those things mm-hmm. and the second thing is that you almost something might happen you almost want to know how does this character feel about this is this character annoyed frustrated excited happy like what exactly is their internal response because as a writer you might feel it's obvious what the character is thinking but you don't know how the reader is interpreting the character so these are all moments where you are character building within action because so much of action is about character it's about telling how someone will respond to things so that's almost the point of your action. That's almost the point of these dramatic moments is to give that little response in between you know, the big decorative stuff that you've done. You just need a little human moment in the middle to say, and that's how they feel about that. And then you move on to the next thing. Yeah. Internality, right? I think is the term. It's when you have a moment of like, you suddenly go into a ca- Is that what you're talking about? Like mm-hmm. when you go into the character yeah. and suddenly like it, get inside their head? It can be interiority, but it could mm-hmm. also just be like, 
it could be in the middle of like you're giving a lot of dialogue and suddenly you just break the dialogue for a second to say a car passes or something just to give it that little like like just a little breath I, i really like that comment and i really agree with what james said about it having two purposes and i think it's such a huge part of what we crave as readers uh the action is great but personally what really draws me in is the characters and how they react to the things happening around them so having these moments to see the the impact of the action on the characters is so important because what happens is sometimes you you read these scenes where so much is happening and you just you don't see the main character for so long because the writer is so focused on the spectacle and it's almost like the main character isn't even there anymore and i think that's a huge risk because you just feel disconnected like this guy just watched this something happen this really uh, impactful terrible thing occur and it, there's nothing from them it's just it really breaks my my immersion so i think it's yeah. not just good it's absolutely necessary to have these beats now they don't have to be uh oh he's so sad he's crying it can even him be just staring just put the camera on his face mm-hmm. you don't even have to give me all the details but do give me that uh back and forth i mean that can really be like the less is more thing you know sometimes when there's just him staring it's yeah. almost like what the reader can imagine he's thinking in that staring is more powerful than if you directly told them just the implication and then letting the reader work out what it is you're trying to say i found that really powerful in in writing mm-hmm. i tend to and it is like kind of a nuanced thing like sometimes i i don't have much of a reason for knowing why like hey i think you need a beat here it's just like yeah. a pacing thing you're flying through a brick of dialogue and they're like oh i think we need to like just pump the brake for a second before we jump back into dialogue like does the character shift in their seat and just give them that little like Ooh, they turn their gaze to the table or finally look back up at them and then and then you're kind of refreshed and could go right back into that dialogue. One of the difficult things about giving feedback sometimes is like you know when something should be there and you mm. feel it, but it's hard to articulate why. Like mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I totally lack the language of like structure to be able to say this needs a beat here because it's always just like kind of feel like it should, can't really justify it. Which I'm sure is very frustrating to the person getting the feedback, but it is. It is almost you, like a feeling, it's rather than a, a technical yeah. thing or cultural thing. It's sort of like I, I'd like to know how they feel about this. You yeah. guys, do you guys have like a like a pet a pet beat that you repeat without even noticing? Like I noticed, I have this oh. automatic one that I put. Like I I recognize there needs to be a stop, but I don't feel like coming up with something original. So a character would just stand up look at something for a moment and then look back at the person it was talking to and i realized i just do it as a lazy way of recognizing okay here's a beat i'll come back to this never and change it into something better yeah but i've seen it like uh some of my favorite writers have them like one of my favorite fantasy writers i don't want to say a name in case he ever listens to this but he just every time he wants a beat Someone blinks slowly and smiles. I was about to say and blinks. It drives me. I was about to say blinks. Fucking crazy! It's like yep. <laughs> how many different characters blink slowly and smile in the middle of the most important conversation of their fucking life. I could be butchering um, this, but there is a podcast where someone talks about, I think, like a romance novel that their dad wrote or something like that. It, it's and is I think it it's called Belinda right? Blinks. I think so. It's called <laughs> Belinda Blinked. Is the name yeah. of the podcast because he's always just like every time he needs a beat, the character blinks. I've definitely done that. I've noticed mm. my. But my I, I do stuff. too. You see, I yeah. do too. 
What do you do? You guys have any confessions to make about? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely do a lot of um, stomach reactions or heart beating mm. reactions. Uh, I'm sure I've <laughs> got a lot of comments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now really that you mention it, there are there are a bunch of reactions. They work when they work. The stomach things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make me queasy. I think I lean in towards like. Well, it works in only select conversations, but if there's a tense conversation, I'll put in a lot of like, for a second, neither said anything or like give it a break where there is. Oh, I, I yeah. just say there's silence oh, yeah. in the room. Um, I really like a cop past as your example before. Like, that's great. I like that too. And I just, <laughs> yeah. it just came in this moment. So use yeah. that because it implies that there's a what, silence we should... without saying anything. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm gonna, Here's an idea I'm for a drinking game. We. We write down the top 10 beats that we know and we read something together. And every time we see one of them, we drink a shot. That sounds good. Okay. Yeah, every okay. every right. time somebody blinks, uh, there's a comfortable silence, something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Do we just read a novel out loud while we do it? Yeah. I'd yeah, read a okay. novel with you guys. We could do it uh, on oh, the that's, podcast. That's so cute. We don't even have to record <laughs> it, you know? Yeah. Let's all read a novel together. <laughs> um, <laughs> next uh, the next comment. Yeah. The the next one I wanted to jump into is one James you brought up was a note that um sent you into a bit of uh I guess a lot of like positive construction like it really sounded like it tapped you into something and that was uh your reader wanting more emotion in a given moment yeah um, yeah more of um almost what you were talking about Patty the inter what was that word you used uh, internality I I learned it for oh, the first time yeah. in the uh, internality yeah. oh interiority okay interiority that's yeah. what I say too I didn't, yeah because it was um. It was a character I've been writing for a while. I mean, he was, it was a character who I wanted to make it a little bit unclear whether or not he was a psychopath, but I wrote everything from his point of view. Um, and there was no real emotional reactions to anything. So it made it very difficult for that character to be particularly likable or to be particularly empathetic. He was quite, it was just incredibly flat, was it, the information that I got back, or the feedback that I got. And I wasn't sure what they meant because I wrote about his thoughts and I wrote about whether he, he felt positive or negative about a situation and I wrote about his fear. And they were kind of just saying that these aren't enough, just human emotions or they're just enough texture for the character. So it kind of set me off and made me think more about how to write reactions to things. I ended up just finding a great little cheat sheet, which is basically action, reaction, decision, consequences, and new action. And you can basically just write a whole story like that. But then you have to obviously go back and strip out most of it because you can't have a reaction to everything that happens. But there are certain mm -hmm. points where you want to have a reaction that tells you about the character. So I do a lot of that now in my writing where I'm trying to get really in close to the character and have their reactions being what's leading the story and leading their decisions. Mm -hmm. That's clever. Action, reaction, decision, consequence. I think that's it. Yeah. So there's a great okay. little example. Okay. A tiger jumps out of a tree and the character, surprised, jumps out of the way. The tiger lands. Character points the gun has a feeling, fires the gun, misses, the character has another feeling, the tiger does something, and you just block it like that. Like you could just write about each event that happens, but mm. it's so much more dynamic if you pause in between each. But well, what's going to happen? Because the tiger jumps out of the tree, yeah. you have this boost of like the character being surprised, and then what the character does, rather than going straight from the tiger to the leap out of the way. And it, was just, it just broke it down like that, and I was like, yeah, that's so mm. much better. James, I, I just wish you said mountain lion. Instead of Tiger. Oh, that would yeah, callback. <laughs> yeah. If anyone's listening to more than one podcast in a row. And... <laughs> yeah. Getting the deep cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like that, that almost as breakdown. You can, um, it's good for scenes as well as you can almost use that as a plotting tool as well. It's like, all right, 
what is the starting state of your world or whatever the scene, whatever is going on, what happens, what's the reaction to that? And it's kind of like on just a macro scale, you could break down a story yeah. like that. Yeah, it's a good way of plotting your character's change. If you take mm-hmm. it by, if you're breaking your story into chapters or breaking into scenes or events, whatever, you see how does a character change at the end of each event or at the end of each scene. And there's an argument that if the character hasn't changed, what's what's the purpose or what's the point of the scene? True. To go back mm-hmm. into telling rather than showing, or sorry, showing rather than telling, that's a good way of, sometimes the, the change isn't necessarily for the character. Sometimes the change can be for the reader in understanding the world. In the film All Quiet on the Western Front, there is a scene where the characters arrive at the trenches and it's raining and the trenches are filling up with water and the characters are told to like get the, basically get the water out of the trenches. So they take off their helmets and they're just throwing the water up. Um, and the change for the character is that he's now arrived at the front and realized it's not all what he thought it would be. But what's being implied as the camera kind of zooms out is just the pointlessness of what they're doing because you just mm. see the water flowing in and you see them throwing the helmets up and you're just like, it's going to have no effect. That's so pointless. And it communicates to the audience, look at the pointlessness of this. And there's a bunch of scenes that are structured that way that give you a sense mm-hmm. of pointlessness afterwards. And that's kind of the overall feeling that you get as you're watching that film. Whoa. That's a good example guess... of showing. As Matan was saying, it can slow down the pace. But what you can get from that is kind of tone and texture of what you're what you're going for so there are, there are times to use it if you can use it well mm. and it's actually that's actually something i was saying before about um showing versus telling is kind of having if your character is walking through an environment have the narrator give the environment almost kind of objectively painting a picture in a particular way and then leave it up to the reader to have a reaction to the environment of their own and then you can it's an invitation to then give interiority of the character's reaction to the environment but don't let the narrator tell the reader what the environment is and means and you know i'm sure there's a counter example to that but just kind of a frame a uh, showing and telling frame uh you could think of it like that mm. i'm reading um bring up the bodies at the moment by hillary mantel which, which i mentioned at the um yeah it's the sequel to wolf hall historical fiction about thomas cromwell Anyway, we were talking just earlier about the importance of establishing uh, a scene. If a character walks into a room, give a moment to talk about Mm. the room. Definitely. And that is really good advice. But there's also times where an author cannot give any description of where they're going into. And you don't notice that the book's not any worse off for it. There's a lot of times in Hilary Mantel where the characters just go on to the next thing and then they're in court and then they're riding on their horses. And there's often no description. I don't know exactly what it is, maybe because she's so interior and so with the characters inside that you almost don't need that that outside description. You can just be like, okay, they're in court. I'm just going to imagine what court looks like. It's it's a very right. fine balance that she that she does. But you know, that's I think that when you have an established world that you are writing in, like, uh, yes. like Henry's England, you can just yes. say uh, the King of France, and the reader has so much information just from you using those two words yeah i think that's really true like that's something that i think stephen king does a lot because he's writing in our world he would use a lot of metaphors like oh that character looked like merlin monroe before jfk and you would know what he's talking about because you have lived in this world and you know who merlin monroe is but someone like uh tolkien when he's writing his stuff he cannot say oh aragorn looked kind of like uh you know, Chuck Norris Aragorn just like with a shorter King beard. Morris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can't Morris. say that. I think I think that's what she did. She does such a fantastic job establishing the world in key points. And later she just kinda 
breakneck pace mm-hmm. of yeah now he's here now he's here now he's here because let's be honest otherwise you know in that in that time like if she had to describe every time uh cromwell is traveling four days to see someone <laughs> we drop the book pretty fast yeah yeah True. it would and it's it's remarkable how fast paced the book is considering it's not like a high action book there aren't any action scenes it's all just drama but the pace rolls on really quickly Look at the opening scenes of Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, the movie. Like, it's done in like 10 minutes, though, like months mm-hmm. passing there because they don't have time to expound on or expand on all the traveling that's being done and all the things that are changing. And in the book, you get more of that sense of time going by. But in the movie, they're just like, bang, bang, bang. Gandalf went across the world and back, like with information and researched, and a lot of time has gone by, but it's not evidently clear to the viewer. I'm really going back to like 15 minutes in the conversation, but. I feel like some of the best tips I got from friends slash editors, they kind of conflict with each other. Like some of them even cancel one another. Show, don't tell, but wait, what about pace or interiority? But no, you can't give me too much. So I think as a writer, you got to take all these comments and Mm. you're basically deciding when and which. Uh, James touched on it. There are moments to do a and there are moments to do b and that balance i feel is what makes a book readable like when you're flipping pages really quickly i feel it's because the writer has struck the perfect balance between now i'm showing now i'm telling now i'm showing now i'm telling it's almost like a marathon you gotta pace yourself at some points you gotta you know uh full sprint some points you gotta kind of jog ahead and totally uh, that's the secret sauce yeah Sometimes it's good to be told. You don't want, oh, you yeah. don't want to um, tell all the time. You have to show. But sometimes it's like a little bit of exposition or just like we're going to cut away and the, re- the author is going to explain to you what the history is. It can be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's books I can think of where I wish the author did a little more telling. But, you know, but, you know telling can be as simple as the writer's writing. Uh, she was very pretty instead of describing exactly how her red hair is reflecting the, the sunlight in, in the copper streaks of red. Telling is just writing. She's pretty. Mm. And sometimes you just want to know, okay, she was a pretty lady. And let's hear what the conversation going to be like. Yeah. And with that, I think we're going to, we're going to bring it over to uh, our reading. James, I believe has a reading for us today. Yes. Uh, So it was basically, I'll only read a part of it, but it was basically an entire chapter, about 3000 words. Mm. I'll just read about 500 of them. It was an action scene, went into a dialogue scene, second action scene, some horror chase scene. And it was essentially almost no internal reaction or emotion from the character, which I kind of realized until it was pointed out to me. <clears throat> okay. This might be a bit janky because I haven't seen this in a while, so I'm wondering. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just a heads up. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> the arrow loosed with a soaring whistle that split the crisp pre-dawn air. From his perch in the vine-entwined window, Luke was already lowering the crossbow to fit another, practiced hands moving with speed and poise when he saw there was little need. Through the crooked branches of fluttering leaves, he watched a stag let out a soft grunt, derail and fall to its knees. From one side, the arrow stood prominent and pleased, having pierced deep to soft flesh behind the left shoulder. There was no time to acknowledge the jubilant beat in his chest. Luke came to his feet, crossing the leaf-strewn floor of the house. The stairs cracked at his descent, spitting rotten splinters. No backward glance was offered the sunken face or glassy eyes. That's so... Oh, never mind that. His mind was to his prey. Downstairs, the soft nest of soil gave life to the rough row, flowers growing in a tidy line that traced the journey of sunlight across the floor. Light flickered in the branch-laden windows. Disturbed floorboards jutted like broken teeth. Lingering traditions led him to the front door. Hinges sang their rusty squeal. 
The brass handle came free, bounced on damp timber, was swallowed by the flowerbed. Intent on the hunt, he paid no mind, stepping from the dreary dwelling into a flourishing grove. Tall grass swished about his ankles, leaves rustled, and the webwork of branch bristled. The breeze was fragrant and rich with morning's brisk bite. Beyond the grove a clearing, a few feet in width, stretched for half a mile either direction. In this ravine of green that was once a road, the stag rose strenuously on shaky legs. The arrow mere inches from the heart he'd aimed to pierce. Returning the crossbow to his shoulders, Crook, who crept through the overflowing garden, hidden beneath dense flora. The stag took a tentative step and began a careless, weaving journey up the street's centre, its pace desperately slow. Swiftly, he strafed the animal, cutting across the street to remain downwind. He pursued through gardens, wading amid knee-high grass, bent under its own weight. The stag pushed on awkwardly. It looked back in agitation, sensing pursuit. Blood tickled down its long, elegant legs, mist sprayed before it with each panicked breath. Luke leapt bushes and passed between trees as a shadow, sweeping up behind the stag and edging closer. When he drew alongside it, the animal caught his scent and veered away, leaving the street and bolting awkwardly into the adjacent grove. Luke didn't falter. The gap had been closed and he was within striking distance. Slinging the crossbow over his back, he drew the machete and burst from the trees after the wounded animal. Skirting up on its left side to avoid a backwards kick, Luke lunged into the animal, driving up and forward with the blade. The shimmering steel flashed at an instant and disappeared in stag inside the stag's soft belly, finding its way between chest plate and rib. Luke came to a stop, forcing the animal to do the same, then dragged the weapon down and backwards, severing arteries, slicing through flesh and cutting open the heart. The blade emerged, thick with crimson, run off, and the beast fell to the ground, inanimate, only a few dying nerves sending twitches through its hind legs. Luke knelt in the tall grass and wiped his blade clean while the body settled. His own heart beat powerfully, exalted as always by the end of a hunch, and with the prospect of how much meat this would yield, he could almost ignore the twinging pain in his chest. This would be a fine day. So that's an example of like quite a lot of things happening, but mm. just to a blank slate, basically. There's no real, yeah. we don't really get anything from the character. The scene that follows that is a very intense dialogue scene, where again, not a lot of internal information. And then the rest of the chapter kind of goes on the same way. So that's an old draft. I've gone and worked on it since then to kind of put a little bit more texture to the character, give him a little bit more feeling. Mm. Kudos to you for actually wanting to read out something that got a lot of criticism yeah. that you later changed. Well done. Uh, I have such a fear about ever showing people my um, unformed stuff. Early that, drafts, that was yeah. actually beautiful. But yeah, now Very that you mention good. it, it's lacking interiority. And I could see how that mm-hmm. would really yeah, yeah. benefit. In a short burst, it might not be as obvious. But if you think about like, that this is like that's 500 words and it's a 3000 word section so it's just that 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 and it is just a blank slate yeah. the whole it is just like so far the camera's looking at the character but we haven't met the character yet we're just watching them do yeah. something yeah um, and it very much stayed like that so it was great it was great feedback to get so mm-hmm. it really changed the way i wrote that and it changed my writing in general and then with that uh, matan has found a quote for us i got a quote from one of the absolute legends of writing uh terry pratchett and terry pratchett says the first draft is just you telling yourself the story mm-hmm. boom so that's something i gotta remind myself draft. of yeah, yeah. god i I, I need to keep that in mind so much <laughs> It's true. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. When I'm writing a first draft, if the characters are picking up a weapon, I'm putting in all the details about the weapon that I'm trying to remind myself of, including like how <laughs> manufactured, where they got it. Yeah. And then later on, I'll go in and take those details and spread them out where they need to be. Like, I like that. Before we go off really quick, I just want to throw out a couple things before we break. One, if you're considering going to an editor or you have gone to an editor, 
if you've gotten feedback that just says this isn't good, don't do this. And they if they don't give reasons, first of all, they should always be kind. There's no reason to be mean. Second, if they don't give reasons about it, that's not a good indication that the editor is worth what you're paying them. And then third thing, I would say sometimes there isn't always an answer for things. But at least when I'm editing someone's stuff in those moments, I do like to say, admittedly, I can't give you a reason for this. My gut instinct is that something needs to be here. And I do admit to that. Um, Writing is very subjective. It's your story in the end. And maybe it's your favorite story. And in the end, that's the important thing. So if your editor is coming back and just saying like, this is crap, this is not good. This is the worst story I've ever written, which I've heard some pretty bad horror stories. Just throw out everything they say. Or or if there is a nugget of gold in there, yeah, take that for yourself. But otherwise, just disregard it. That's not a great editor. Go to someone else. There are people out there who will just help you tell your story. And that's ultimately the goal of a, that's what an editor should be doing for you. Well said. Uh, Amen. Thank you. Yeah. The other thing, uh, we just released an anthology, which if you listen to our last Ooh. episode, we've been talking about. If you follow us on Instagram or anywhere, we're talking about it there too. New Mythic. It's a banging anthology. It's very good. Uh, if you it like sci-fi, it is banging. If you like sci-fi and fantasy and horror and those sort of things, I can say with quite a bit of confidence, you're going to like this book. So yeah, if that's your jam. Grab it. New Mythic available on Amazon and other places too. Just Amazon, <laughs> just right, Amazon now. right now. Most just Amazon, Amazon, right Amazon. Right now. <laughs> but in paperback or ebook. So you've got your choice of two. Paperback ebook. So very available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we're yes. basically just charging the cost of printing for it. Uh, we just want to get mm-hmm. it out there. We love these stories. So yeah, you just have to put a little money down for the cost of materials and then you will have your very own copy. And with that, we'll leave it for now. Uh, Thank you all for coming. We'll talk to you later. See ya. You're listening to Pros and Cons, the Precipice Fiction Podcast.